it's uh, a real joy for us this morning. We've, uh, we've got um, Stephen Brown's brother, Yaakov, who's with us this morning. And it's a real joy. So I'm going to invite Yaakov, if you want to come down here now, and I might, and Stephen's going to get your guitar sorted. Well, why don't you welcome Yaakov? I had the joy of spending some time yesterday afternoon with him and uh, with his family. And uh, as uh, we spent some time uh, with the Brown family yesterday afternoon and uh, celebrated Hope. She's quietly hiding back there. I can see you, Hope. Uh, Hope celebrated her bat mitzvah, whereas in in the the Jewish um, culture... A young woman, a, a girl becomes a young woman, and so the family comes around them and affirms that that journey. And so it was just a real pleasure to be a part of that yesterday afternoon. But um, very rare opportunity that we actually get the opportunity to spend time with a Messianic Jew, a man who, um, from the Jewish line, understands Jesus as Israel's Messiah. And uh, so I just thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could spend a few minutes just getting to know you, mate? And, um, and, then, uh, and then we'll just, uh, he's going to sing a song for us. So, um, but firstly, mate, welcome to the vineyard where I, th- I think from here, I think they look pretty good. Uh, they're pretty friendly, although every now and then when I'm teaching, they kind of look at me with these faces. But, but they're pretty good, actually. They're good people. <laughs> We love them, and uh, we're glad that you're here. But so, I just thought I might ask a few questions of you this morning. So, firstly, tell us a little bit about uh, when and how you met Jesus as your Messiah and Lord. Okay, so um, I'm grateful that you gave me the questions beforehand. Uh, I guess if you're a follower of of the Messiah, you understand that. We meet him often, don't we? Uh, but I, I thought of four um, quite profound meetings with him that I would talk about very briefly. When I was about three years old, my, my mother read me uh, a book um, called The Horse and His Boy, which is written by an author called C.S. Lewis. And I recognized in The Lion, who was also a cat the person of the Messiah. When I was about seven years old, my, um, my father and I were in a Baptist church and the, the pastor spoke, actually he quoted the Torah. He quoted the Torah, but he didn't know it was the Torah. <laughs> and he said that I've placed the blood on the altar for the remission of sin. Um, and then he, he referred to the we call it Ivrim, the book of Hebrews, also a Jewish book. Um, and he spoke about the fact that without the shedding of blood, sin can't be atoned for. And so at seven years old, I understood that without the blood of the Messiah, I was walking toward eternal suffering. And so I, I received that opportunity uh, when I was 14 years old, I was at a youth camp during a time of year that we call Pesach. Um, 
some people know as Passover and most Christians call Easter. Uh, and I think that's significant. It was Passover. Uh, and it was a youth camp. I was 14 years old. There was a big open-air meeting uh, under a big marquee. Uh, but I wasn't in it. I was outside checking out the girls, uh, the naughty girls around the periphery because they were the ones that were dressed in a fashion that drawn my attention more readily at 14 years of age. Um, but I, I recall at the end of the meeting, the speaker, also a Messianic Jew, a guy named Ray Comfort, um, and don't ask me what he said, I wasn't listening. He, he made a, a call, I guess, like an altar call, where, where he said, if you would like to meet, Jesus, then we invite you to, to come forward, which is pretty classic Christian. Eh? You come forward, meet Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, hallelujah, on you go. Um, but, and this is where it gets a little bit mystical, but you guys seem like you're pretty hippie with the way you do things, so I think you'll be okay with it. I found myself at the front of the tent 400 meters away. So I wasn't on drugs, to be clear, um, but I can't tell you how I got there. And Yeshua was standing in front of me, and he said to me, return to your roots. Um, and most people would say, well, then you're not saved because that's not how you get saved. Um, a week later, I, I chose to be immersed. We, we call it tevilah, immersion in, in the mikvah. And that was probably one of the most transforming events of my life. And it one of the reasons for that was because I understand understood Yeshua in his ethnic religious identity as the Jew, not not the Messiah that was a Jew when he was on earth, but the Messiah who was resurrected a Jew, who sits at the right hand of God a Jew, and who can't fulfill the prophecies still required unless... He's a Jew in the line of Judah, the line of David. That was profound for me. Up till then, I really, I believe I'd been offered a, a universal idea of Jesus. And I think you can find that in any religion. You know, I've met plenty of people who are happy with the universal idea of a savior who are Buddhist, universal idea of a savior who are Hindu, who are Muslim even, uh, Mahdi, uh, but I met the person, and so I, I went back and I said to my dad, hey, you know, what's this Jew stuff all about? And he said, well, ask your grandmother, because, I mean, we hadn't lived a practicing Jewish life. So I sat with her and I just started to understand who I, I was as an ethnic religious person. And I think that's, you know, that's a gift that I can give to all of you is... And I'll explain it this way. You have wonderful uh, local ethnic people who are attached to this land, 
and I don't know the name of the tribe from this area. We know them in New Zealand as Aboriginals. In New Zealand, we have the Māori people and we have many tribes. I was speaking at a Māori congregation in the North Island, and as I got up to speak, the Lord said, don't worry about what you prepared. And he said to me, I want you to call out the tribes in this room. This was a, a church where this side of the church were all Māori, mostly Ngāpui from the north. This side of the church were all European. So I got up and I honoured the Māori um, tribes. I thanked them. I thanked them for allowing us to live on their land. And then I said, and God wants to honour and call out all the other tribes in the room. All of the Europeans, without fail, looked around behind them. I know that broke God's heart, and because it did, it broke my heart as well. They were looking for Polynesians or people of Indian background or any other type of person other than them. And in that moment, they had become second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And so I, and then the, this was not my great idea. This was the Lord speaking. He said, start calling out the tribes. And so I just, I just started saying, Celt, Britain, and one by one, they started to turn around, and I saw the expression on their faces, like some great weight had been lifted off of them, and they felt like they were worth something to God. They understood that they too had a tribe. And I think one of the most horrible things that we've done in the Western world is we've practiced assimilation instead of unity. And the wonderful good news of the gospel of the kingdom is that God loves your uniqueness and he sees us as a body of many, many parts. He doesn't want us all to be hands or all to be feet or all to be lungs, but he receives our complex unity. And because he created us, we have worth. So, yeah, so those are some of the most profound things, yeah. Wonderful, mate. Thank you for that. Tell us a little bit about your vocation as a rabbi, a teacher. Tell, what, what does that look like for you on a, on a daily basis in, for yourself and, and for the community that you lead and then maybe the city that you're in, what, where your touch points are in that? What, what's that look like to be a rabbi? Uh, so just to clarify, after I had that encounter with Yeshua, I did pursue my identity, religious culture and so on. I studied uh, in the Orthodox Shul in Auckland, but then we also moved to Canada. And so for seven years, I trained in an ancient way uh, at the feet of a rabbi. So not in a modern theological seminary to be a rabbinical person, but at the feet of a rabbi, Misha ben Yochanan. And so for seven years, I trained. And so there's that what it means in, in our day-to-day -day as a couple and as a ministry is that we, um, we have practiced pastoral care for our community. You saw some of that 
yesterday when we conducted the bat mitzvah, we offer the Jewish tradition as it honors God to Jewish followers of Yeshua. And so I'm often doing Brit Milah, the circumcision process, the um, immersion, the bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah, uh, yada, yada, yada. We, we, also, we also guide people in the practice of um, biblical Judaism as it submits to the Messiah. So we offer Jewish believers an opportunity to be themselves because, and some of you may have heard this, but I didn't, I, I'm not a converted Jew. <laughs> I'm a converted human being. I am a Jew. I didn't change my religion when I met Yeshua. He filled it. So I didn't become, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but I didn't become a Christian. I continue to be a Jew. And, and so really our primary function is one to offer a space for Jews to be Jews and follow Yeshua, and two, to share the good news of our Messiah with our people. So God has called Julia and I specifically to the ethnic, religious, empirical, chosen people of Israel. Israel and Judah being ethnic nouns, not allegories for believers, but ethnic nouns for specific people. You haven't become spiritual Jews. That's nonsense. I can't become a spiritual Maori. You can't become a spiritual Aboriginal. That's good news. God didn't make a mistake when he made you who you are. So, yeah, that's our function, and we, we have Israelis stay with us. Uh, our house is like a kibbutz. There's only one toilet, and there's about 14 beds, and often many of them are full, and we have Israelis after their IDF service, they come. They stay with us. I share Yeshua with them. I've never had to start a conversation. They always ask me, Yaakov, why you believe Yeshua, Yaakov? Why? That's how our conversations start. Brilliant, mate. Um, I'm not sure how I'd go with just the one bathroom, but anyway. Um, I'll tell you how you go. <laughs> yeah. You go outside to the bamboo and you hope there's a leaf big enough. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, mate. I'll remember that. Hey, um, can, you help, can you just help us clarify a little bit here? Um, you're Messianic Jew, and what, what's the difference between someone who is a Messianic Jew and someone who is of Jewish faith? Can, can you help sort of differentiate the two of those for us? That's a great question. Thank you. Really insightful question. Um, and this will sound like a Sunday school answer. <laughs> Squirrel, no. It's, I mean, the difference is Yeshua. All Jews look for either a Mashiach, a Messianic age, a Messianic consciousness, something to save us. Even secular Jews in the back of their head are thinking, how much longer is the world going to hate us? When is everything going to be put aright? Um, so all of us just in the same way that I'm part of the complex unity of the body of the Messiah, I'm also part of the complex unity of the Jewish people, all of whom have different denominations, 
most of whom are secular, 80% of the world's Jews are secular. 14.7 million Jews, 1 million, like myself, profess belief in Yeshua as the King Messiah. 1 million of 14.7. But the majority of the rest are secular. What is common is that we all look for a Mashiach. Here's the problem. There's only one. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe that the Chabadniks lord as the manifestation of Messiah in his generation, he's not the Messiah. Bahokba from the second century, he's not the Messiah. There, are, there have been all these people who have presented themselves this way or have been called this that are not. And so ultimately the major difference is Yeshua meeting the real Messiah. And then we practice our Judaism as follows of Yeshua as he practiced it. If the rabbis disagree with him, we disagree with them. But if what they teach is in line with him, why would we throw it out? And it's a little bit like I used to manage a Christian bookstore for a while. Um, and people used to say to me, oh, you Jews, you, you read the Talmud, and the Talmud's a horrible book that's got a whole lot of lies in it. And I would just point to the bookshelves. I would say, behold, Christian Talmud. And you will glean some great things from it. But please don't carry away the kaka, you know, let that fly away. Yeah. We would say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. That's much nicer, yeah. <laughs> That's why you're a pastor, yeah, and I'm a visitor. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think that's the major difference. We, you can see my practice is Jewish in every way that if you ask me, you know, are you a Talmudic rabbinical Jew? I'll say no, because, and I said this yesterday, and you had a little bit of a, like a, yeah, bro, that's right, because you're obviously a studied man. The Judaism you see today prolifically in the world, be it Orthodox or Hasidic, Reform, Progressive, it's all born of rabbinical Judaism. Rabbinical Judaism began before the first century, but it recast itself in 90 CE. Okay, so we're, we're talking some 60 years after Yeshua died and was resurrected. Because we had no temple and no sacrifice and no blood, we had to reinvent ourselves. So our rabbis went to Yavne, the lower west coast of Israel. They reinvented Judaism without sacrifice or blood. But 60 years before that, Messianic Judaism started. All the first believers were Jews. You guys got the message because we got persecuted and ran out to you. But Messianic Judaism predates what you see as Judaism today by 60 years minimum. And so our practice actually, whether the rabbis want to admit it or not, is more authentic than theirs is. And I think that's one of the things that is a real sticking point and there's volatility there, but we continue to share the gospel in love regardless. We get called, they, they, they slur us in the Auckland community by calling us names. And I'll tell you a little story because I think it's cute. Adir, one of our recent Israeli boys, he, he comes to me one day, he says, Yaakov, I went to the Chabad Rebbe 
And he wanted me to celebrate Shishi, Kiddush, Shabbat with him. I said, I can't. I'm celebrating Shabbat with Yaakov and Yulia. And the Rebbe said to me, they're missionaries. And I dare said, for a moment, Yaakov, I thought, maybe he's trying to compliment you. And then I, then I realized he was calling you a missionary, Yaakov. I said to him, no, you're a missionary. So this is a slur. <laughs> this is a, you're a missionary. Because we are known, even though we're ethnically and religiously Jewish, we're considered converts to a false religion and apostate missionaries to the Jewish people. And words like spiritual shoah, spiritual holocaust, are used against us. That's how deep that delusion runs. Thanks for sharing that, mate. Hey, um, can you help us out here? On, on the off chance that people like us as followers of Jesus uh, would run into a Jewish person, could you maybe give us like a few tips? Because I'm always looking for some tips and tools on like, so I don't look and sound too stupid, yeah. but just to be able to like, how can I help partner with God yes. to, to see Jewish people meet Jesus as, as Messiah? Thank you. Um, I wish I could clone you and put you in every church in the world so that you'd ask that question. Because Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is still first for the Jewish people and is still also for all the other tribes. But we, we tend to have forgotten the first part in my experience. Um, however... You guys have your own tribes to share the gospel with. I've got my job to do. If you come across Jewish people, one of the things, I guess in a way it's a challenge, how well do you know the Tanakh? And do you call it the Old Testament? Because what the first believers in Yeshua called it was the Tanakh. What the New Testament calls it is the Scriptures. And in reality... All of what you see in the so-called Old Testament is manifest in the New Testament. So is it really old or is it actually material, poignant, present? And if you can use language that doesn't immediately alienate a person, then you can have a conversation that can move toward Yeshua. If you use language that immediately alienates a person, the conversation is over. You can't go any further because they've already formed an understanding of how you view God. So Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, the books of Moses, the, the prophets and the writings, that's what we call it or call it the scriptures. Can you have a conversation without using the New Testament and share the gospel? That's a question I have for everyone because, again, the books we have as the New Testament are dated between 50, 90, and maybe 120 CE. So we're saying that at least until AD or CE 50, all believers, including Gentile believers, were using the Tanakh to share the gospel. Can you do that? And I think I don't say that to poo-poo your understanding of the Bible. I say it as an opportunity to say, oh, this is the Bible Yeshua read. 
didn't just read it, he authored it. He didn't just author it, he's the goal of it. Baruch Hashem. Hallelujah. Beautiful. And again, um, and a great encouragement toward us to help us also both be able to have, you know, good conversation and relationship with Jewish people and the key of understanding our own, as followers of Jesus, our own long story, which is, you know, unfortunately, if I could make a little comment at this point, for many of us that have come through, um, you know, the modern era of the church with the the Apostles' Creed, for example, you know, it says, I, I, you know, I believe Christ was born of a virgin and then it goes straight to suffered under Pontius Pilate. And it's like, well, what happened between born of a virgin and suffered under Pontius Pilate and actually what happened before born of a virgin? So we, we miss out on a whole bunch of our own story, even in our confessions of faith. And so I think that invitation that you're laying out to us there is one that I would say the breath of the Holy Spirit is on to actually understand our long story as revealed to us through the scriptures or as we would call the Old Testament. So I want to say thank you for that. Uh, yesterday afternoon, Yaakov, I had the privilege of um, being able to hear you sing. And um, so um, for those who... Um, don't know, you're a songwriter, you're a singer, and so I just thought maybe this morning we might take a moment just to let Yaakov sing, you might want to explain a song to us that you're going to sing, and, and we'll just invite the Lord to minister to us as, as you're doing that, mate, if that's all right with you. Steve, we're going to set him up down here. Shall or I try and hobble up there, bro? Right. Might be better. Might be better, yep. First time Steve, Steve's ever roadied for me. So this song is, it's got a, a few Hebrew words at the start of it, which I'll just quickly explain because uh, the Rabbi Shaul HaShaliah, Paul the Apostle, taught us that if we're going to speak in tongues, we should have an interpretation. So I'm going to speak in tongues this morning and I'll give the interpretation ahead of it if that's okay. So there's just two phrases and really they name the character of God. The first one is Hamalach Shel Adonai, which means the, the messenger of the Lord. Or in English, we often use this phrase angel. Uh, but the Hebrew Malach means messenger, either divine or, or otherwise. And so Hamalach Shel Adonai, that's angel of the Lord. And then the second phrase that I'll use Maybe I just need to turn the guitar on somewhere. I'm not sure. It's gone. Um, 
the second phrase that I'll use is Hamaleh Amelachim, which you'll be really familiar with. It's the King of Kings. And it's a reference to God Himself, and therefore is also a reference to the person of God with us, Imanu El, with us, God Yeshua. Okay, so this is actually a worship song that we sing in our community. Um, we have a lot of other songs that are entirely in Hebrew, but I wanted to sort of ease you guys into it. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Well, mate, the tangible presence of the Lord is here in the room right now, and I, th- I think it's wonderful that even the um, the heart and the words of that song were mirrored also in the song selection that Neil was leading us in this morning about seeking His face and turning towards Him and His goodness. So, um, would you would you do us the honour of um, I haven't prepped you for this, but maybe would you bless us? Um, and, and release a blessing over us that, um, yeah, that we might just go about the ways of King Jesus as he's invited us to here, but, um, but just that we might affirm the presence of the Lord in the room right now. So, um, so there's a blessing that God gave to um, a Cohen, Aaron, Three and a half thousand years ago, he gave a blessing to be prayed over the people of Israel because God called us uh, a nation of priests. And this blessing also is offered through the people of Israel and through Yeshua, through Jesus, to all who will accept 
Yeshua, Jesus, as the high priest, the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest over all things, even over the priesthood of, of Aaron. Uh, so if you are a follower of Yeshua, this blessing also is imparted to you, and um, I'll, I'll chant it if you don't mind. Uh, in English, it's the blessing you're all very familiar with. Um, people call it the Aaronic um, blessing. Uh, we call it Bedikat uh, Konim, the blessing of priests, uh, and the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his deep peace. And so I'm going to chant that in Hebrew. Amen. Thank you, Yaakov. You and Stephen are the roadies today. What a blessing. Thank you. Wonderful to have you among us today, Yaakov. And thanks for sharing your heart. Thanks for sharing your story of, of Jesus and your love for your people and your love for us. An absolute treat. Um, this morning, folks, I want to take just a few moments to finish off some teaching that we've been working through together um, and uh, before we change gears over the next few weeks and start to head towards contemplating uh, Jesus going to the cross. And so uh, I just want to finish off this little series that we've been touching on. And um, so I might just get, uh, um, Jake, if you could pop that up on the screen for me. So be, uh, it's, um, that's it. That's it, growing up. So for those of you who may be joining us for the first time on this series, we've been spending a bunch of time listening to the Holy Spirit and the invitation of God in this season of will we give God our yes for another year of following him? And we've, we've touched on a whole series of um, realities of, of saying yes to God and what that means and, and yes to Jesus, but... Um, if, if I could go to the um, third slide, thanks Jake, there's a third slide there with the quote from Jordan Singh, this is where we touched on last week and um, with regards to saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to being caught up into the work of the kingdom of God which is replete with signs and wonders and miracles and uh, Jordan Singh beautifully says there, 
uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in that little quote. He says, uh, kingdom work has always been more about devotion uh, than expertise and the pursuit of God's empowerment always draws us into his heart. He's never satisfied with a mere show of power when he can also demonstrate his lowliness and love. So the one-two rhythm of the kingdom is power and meekness, strength plus vulnerability, authority with humility, glory with grit. Uh, This is why supernatural power requires other than natural living. It's why miracles are messy things and here's hoping that God will mess up your life. So my question is, was your week messed up? Did, from the time we explored this together last week and we said, hey God, we're saying yes to you and the supernatural in-breaking realities of your kingdom through our lives, did you have a week that was messed up by the glory of God and more than likely it would have had an associated grit that went with it? So just ponder that. And if not, I encourage you, keep asking the Lord to mess your life with his presence. Now, um, one of the prayers that we've been praying together as a, as a fellowship of believers over this last uh, little few weeks is we've been praying this prayer together, giving ourselves over to the Lordship of Christ for another year. So if you could pop up that next slide, thanks, Jake our prayer. So I just invite you all, let's stand and pray this together. We stand and pray this together every week as a fellowship of believers. No lone wolves in the room. We're doing this journey together as the people of God in the earth. So I just invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Jesus, in this new season, I invite you to shape my life and set the direction of my year. I listen to your word. I long to imitate your works and I welcome your spirit as I fix my eyes on you. Amen. Next slide. Thanks, Jake. You know, life on most days feels like that picture. There's a heck of a lot going on for all of us. And there's, a, there's many conversations and many contexts and, and relationship dynamics and workplace environments where we're all having to navigate all of these um, Uh, said realities and that picture gives us a really good understanding that daily life is complex daily life is complex A a, a relationship of saying yes to Jesus does not save us from complexity in fact what it does is is Jesus actually reveals himself to us in the complexity of daily living and it's there that his kingdom is breaking through and his kingdom is coming and he's inviting us to join with him. But navigating every year, navigating it as a, for myself as a dad, as a husband, as, as someone who has a, a vocation like we all do and callings to the places where God's asked us to walk every day, we every day come across moments where our greatest prayer is often muttered or uttered like this, Oh God, what are we going to do? Oh God. And that's a great prayer because the, 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 the posture, the direction and the nature of it is honesty and it's toward God. It's not away from God. So I want to encourage you, keep praying. Oh God, what are we going to do? 
Our world is becoming more complex. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of challenge. And it does seem like there's this increased sense of hopelessness. And yet at the very same time, God invites us as Jesus' people to live a different way in our world that tells a different story. We're not afraid of the complexity. We're not scared of the challenges. But we are humbly entering into all of that saying, God, we need your help. Show us the way and we will follow you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, just think about all of the, you know, the things that maybe kept you up last night when you were trying to sleep, but your mind was racing over. Was it over a child? Was it over a grandchild? Was it over a financial issue? Was it over a relationship thing? What are the things that are just chewing away in there, seeding anxiety and causing us to realise, oh God, I need your help? Because it's those things, it's those very spaces that I think God wants to bring his kingdom. Jesus wants to walk us through them, not around them. Now, let's lighten it up a bit here. Let's lighten the mood. Let's have a look at a few, you know, some of the big complexities that people are walking through today. What's the next slide? Thanks, uh, uh, Jake. Um, That's a big one. If you don't have that where we're going, most people feel completely disconnected even though they're sitting with other people. You know, if there's no Wi-Fi, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? You know, uh, that's a big complexity. Uh, Or this this next slide, thanks, Jake. This one makes our lives very frustrated. The whole idea of having to actually wait for something to turn up now, even when it's on our devices and smartphones, the idea of having to wait is just, you know... It's a terrible thing. (laughs) Um, And perhaps maybe the worst one, um, the next one, thanks, Jake, is like, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? I'm nearly out of power. And some of you are probably sitting here today with your phones thinking your mind is attached to it going, where am I going to get power before this service runs out? And you're probably going to miss what Jesus is saying to you. So take all those complexities and just put them in a box and give them to Jesus and let him speak to you this morning. Hey, next, um, next slide, thanks, Jake. Scott McKnight, he writes in his book, Kingdom Conspiracy, he says, kingdom is people, church is people. A people under King Jesus begins to live into an alternative society that witnesses both to the world and against the world's systems. Our world is marked by isolation and fragmentation, Transience, privacy, consumerism, power, complacency, alienation, suspicion, and a host of other idolatries. Now, it's interesting, he uses the word idolatries. In other words, what you, wor- what you give your time, energy, and focus to is, is your act of worship. And so if you're getting caught up in this stuff, you're actually building an idol out of it. And so he calls it for what it is. And then he says, but the church, which is kingdom fellowship, under King Jesus, counters each of those stories with the story of new creation that comes possible through the power of the Spirit and the life of Jesus. It's my firm understanding that right now, more than ever, 
God is looking and inviting a people that would journey with him into a maturity that tells this anxious world a different story. Our world is tonguing for a different story, so much so that it will take anything that it's offered. And I, and I, but I want you to, like, like Yaakov was saying, there is only one answer, and the answer is Jesus. So next slide, thanks, Jake. This morning, as before Nick and I get on a plane and disappear for a few weeks, our, our parting word to all of us is, let's just grow up. Let's just grow up. Like, let's grow up. How do we grow up and not just grow old? Have you got your Bible with you or your phone app? Why don't you open it up? Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians church. Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to take a, a, a little snapshot there of how Paul calls this little church plant to, to grow on up into maturity. And that's really what, what God's been inviting us to do at the start of another year in our walk with him. He's saying, come on, grow up. Grow up into who I have saved you to be. Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's, there's a few verses that will be on the screen in the next slide. Thanks, uh, thanks, Jake. But Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking to the church there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a bigger chunk to you from, from, uh, from verse 1 through to uh, 14. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now you've got to understand here, when Paul's, Paul's taking some of the long story of his own Jewish background here and he's applying some of this and he's applying it in the context of his, he's trying to deal with all of the other spiritual practices that are going on in his context at his time. And one of the um, common understandings was that whatever your spiritual practice was, if, if your God was the highest God, or your God was the one who was higher than all the other gods, then that was the legit God and you should worship that God. And so Paul here is he's actually going, going for the throat on this one because not only does he say the God that he's worshipping has now ascended to be... He's, he's not only been the God who is from the highest place, he's also the God who has come to the lowest place as well. 
In other words, um, there has been no other God who has come from the highest place to the lowest place to return to the highest place again. And in doing so, that God has taken everything captive in himself, in his ruling and reigning, his descending and his ascending. And so he's saying the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is is the highest God and he's also the God who has come to the lowest of places and risen and ascended again and in doing so makes the claim in the face of every other God or idol, there is none greater than this God. That's what Paul's poking in the eyes here when he's using those sort of... um, nuanced statements about high, low, up, down, all that. He's addressing stuff in the spirit. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just... Think about that for a second. We all grow up into the full measure of Jesus. There's the pathway journey, growing up into Jesus. Just think about it. Put a glass on the table in front of you and start filling it with water. And you watch it fill and fill and keep going and you keep filling it until it brims over at the top. This is the, this is the discipleship journey of coming alive to God in Jesus Christ. We are growing up. We are being filled. We are maturing into who Jesus Christ has called us to be, to be like him in the middle of this very complex world. Uh, verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow uh, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul has got a universal, cosmic, and yet very personal understanding of who Jesus is as the God who's revealed himself. And his invitation to us is to grow up. Now, next slide, thanks, uh, Jake. He, he says there in Ephesians, he, he talks about maturity. Now, that, that word maturity is, means teleos. It, it, it means, basically in the Greek, it means like... St- you know, we, once upon a time, we were all toddlers and we could all get around, hands and knees, or before that, we'd just kind of roll around on the floor a little bit. But, but we didn't stay there. We grew up. We actually developed some motor skills. We actually developed a little bit of cognitive capacity. We actually started to build some emotional intelligence and we started to grow. We went from rolling around the floor to to crawling. We went from being fed to being able to feed ourselves. 
we, we went from having to be strapped into a chair so we wouldn't fall out of it to be able to sit in a chair and feed ourselves. We grew, we grew up. Paul's using imagery and picture here of, of, of literally a child growing into a fully developed human being. And, and he, he's saying, so, so um, it's time, church. He's calling the church out. He's like, desperately, more than ever in the complexity of his time, even as it is in ours, he's saying, we need, we need some people just to grow up, to please be a different story in your world. Living from the understanding and the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us in such a way that our life tells a better story. He's saying, become a fully grown adult. You know, one of the things that gets um, Nick and I, we, we, we um, you know, we might be driving along or whatever, and, and you see all these blokes, right, just, they've got all the toys. They've got the big cars, they've got the boats, the jet skis, they've got, the, I mean, they've got the four-wheel drives, they've got it all. They've got all the toys, but their relationships are an absolute disaster, absolute disaster. Financially, they are, they are just bankrupt for, for lack of growing up. They look like they're grown up. They look like they're mature. And in fact, we, you know, we give them authority to drive really big cars and, and fast boats. We license them because we say, oh, you're mature enough to do that. You're mature enough to understand the effects of alcohol. You can do that. We, we license people to be able to do these things. But, but on, on the inside, they're still toddlers. They haven't figured out how to do a relationship yet. But on the outside, we, what do we call them? We call them bo- uh, uh, man, man boys or men, boy men or something like that. We call them. We, we just, oh, there's another one. Just they got all the toys, but they got they just got the intelligence and the capacity of a toddler. Well, Paul's having a go at that. He's saying, "Come on, people of the kingdom, people of King Jesus, put that childish stuff away, and it's time to give yourself over to the maturing work of God in your life." Now, there's a few other dynamics around that word. Uh, um, Maturity. Uh, if you went, uh, if you went back one slide, Jake. If we could just go back one slide to that those few verses of scripture there, he says there. He says until we reach the unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. That 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 word knowledge, epignosis. It's not. It's not. It's not gnostic. It's not here. Paul's not talking about this up here in the brain. He's not talking about Gnostic knowing knowledge, that kind of knowledge. He's actually taking there a a, a sense of imagery of intimacy. And if you unpack that word back through the long story, it's actually going right back to the garden. It's going back to Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve knew each other and became one flesh. Paul's saying, hey, church, if, as you're growing up now, it's time to enter into all of the risk and the trust 
and the um, shamelessness of intimacy with God and Jesus. And as we, as we enter into that journey, as we enter into that oneness, we move from living in a relationship with the God that we know about to actually being in relationship with that very God. Now, when Nick turned up on my doorstep at my 21st birthday, I knew about her. I knew she was related to the couple living next door and she came along to my party and I I had a fair idea. I I knew stuff about her, but something happened when she walked in that door that night that went from being, hmm, I know some things about her, but I actually now want to get to know her. I want, what, what is it about her? that's drawing me into this sense of inquiry. Some might call it lust. But anyway, it was like, God, this woman is amazing. I was, it was like I was, my heart was being drawn, my body was being drawn, my mind was like flipping out, but I was like, I want to know her. Knowing about her wasn't enough anymore. Well, anyway, the other day, we're coming up on our 31st, Yep, 31st wedding anniversary. Nick's the numbers person. Uh, We're coming up on our 31st wedding anniversary and we were just walking together the other day. I forget where it was. It might be in here actually. I'm not sure. But we were walking along together and and she says to me, wow, 31 years. We've just been been married in in a couple of weeks' time. 31 years. She says to me, "Thanks thanks for hanging out with me for that long. And I said, babe, I'm only just starting to get to know you. It's true. It's true. The longer, the deeper, the intimacy, the richness of the revelation of just how amazing this creation of God is that I'm in a relationship with. Paul's saying, hey, church, grow up into Jesus. The, the, the very nuances of his heart, his love, his mind, his plans, his purposes, his power would flow through you as if you were one with him. And that you would no longer live in such a way that it's like, oh, yeah, I know that about Jesus or Jesus did that for. But no, it's coming from a place of profound intimacy. Profound intimacy. Telios. Uh, thanks, thanks, Jake. We'll jump forward a couple of slides if I could. So let me just, there's a book called um, uh, Pathway to Maturity. It's an old publication written by John Wimber and Kevin Springer. And they give four little uh, encouragements on how to grow up. So the first one is this. They say in their work, keep on being equipped, which, which comes, there's this sense of that word uh, that there's, God puts all these different kinds of people graced into his body to equip his people for works of service. Now that word equip, it's, it's actually a medical term. Uh, it's a medical term. It's, it's, um, it literally means to, to grab a hold of like a, like a broken bone that has, that has healed wrong. And what you need to do is you need to re-break the bone and you need to reset it so that it, it aligns correctly. So what Paul's saying is God's going to empower these people to come among us, to come among his church, and it's going to feel like 
They're getting a hold of the bones, the structure around which you've built your life. And in the grace of God, they're going to grab a hold of that and they're going to break it so that you can actually be realigned to true life and true living. This whole idea of being equipped, we need to grow in knowing what we would believe. We need to grow in knowing, be equipped in why we believe it. And we need to grow in being equipped about how to apply what we've, what we've been equipped with. It's like I asked a question the other week. How, when was the last time you cast out a demon? Most of us, for most of the time, go, I wouldn't have a clue what to do with that. Well, what happened to all of the equipping, resourcing, and teaching that you've been given over the years? What have you done? Have you, have you risked applying that so that your life might be aligned with what God has actually graced your life with? We need this apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral teaching grace ministries uh, to empower us for the sake of helping us to grow up, to mature. Next slide, thanks, Jake. We need to, Wimber and Springer would suggest, we need to keep on receiving ministry. If, if, If we've stopped welcoming the forming, transformative work of God toward us, we got problems. We got problems. So we need to we need to receive. We need to continually give ourselves over to allowing God, His His Word, His power, to transform our heart, our mind, and our actions. And we need to keep placing our lives in in context of learning. And I tell you the best place of learning It's the prayer that you're praying. You know, the one where you're going, oh God, right there. Right there. That's the context, the complexity of everything that you long for to be somehow transformed or different or navigate through. That's where the learning is. Right there in the crucible of that. And it's in that context where we give ourselves over to God in the process and the people he's placed around us to help us walk through where we are and grow us up. Keep receiving ministry. When was the last time you welcomed someone else to pray for you, to sit with you, and for you to bear your heart And then welcome them praying their best, almost clumsy prayer, but given in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. When did you last welcome that into your life? Keep on receiving ministry. Uh, Next slide. Thanks, Jake. I read the other day someone made a comment online about money and they were talking about, you know, it's called cash flow for a reason. You know, it, it, it's, it's designed to come into your life and out of your life. If you, if you stick a dam, start building dams, all of a sudden there's no more flow and the, and the riverbed dries up. It's like, it's called cash flow. But let's, let's take it away from that image and say, where's, where's the flow of the love and the transformative power of God in your life? Or are you busy building dams? Like, I've got I to gotta try and hang on to that previous experience. It was so powerful, I'm going to hold it there. But there it remains. It doesn't flow anymore. 
When was the last time a prophetic word was whispered into your heart by the people that you, you, know, you do church with and do life with? What are you doing with? Allowing what's been given into your life, transform your life, and then flow through your life to another. Keep on, Wimber and Springer say, keep on giving away what you've been given. To quote him, he would say, to say, to, this is a Wimber quote, he says, to say I love you and do nothing about that is an incomplete statement. To say I'll pray for you and not pray is, an incom- is incomplete. To say that Jesus heals and not pray for the sick person in front of you is incomplete. To say that Jesus saves and not share that truth of who he is as saviour and lord of the world and king of the universe and not share that with others that don't know that good news, it's incomplete. To say that God is God and lord of all things and not operate as though he is God and lord is incomplete. Keep giving it away Stop building dams. Grow up into. Lastly, Wimber and Springer would say, if we can jump onto the next one, thanks, Jake. Keep taking people with you on the journey. Sometimes we feel like, I'm not qualified. That's because we live in a qualification culture. These days, to be able to turn a screwdriver, you need to get a, attend a class and get a gold ticket on, yep, we approve you to do that. Um, so we live in this qualification culture. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is not about the, qual- the qualified. It's about the called. It's about the ones who are willing to go, I hear you, Lord. Show me the way. Teach me your way that I can walk in it. Keep, And then at the same time, not only are you a disciple of Jesus... You and I are disciples, disciplers of others. In other words, what that little bit that we've learned along the way, that is going to be gold for the person that's following us. We might just think it's, oh, that's just my story or my thing or I just discovered that. But actually, that's the bit of gold that the one who's walking with you needs to receive. You know, every child that comes through this place that the Lord has blessed to the vineyard over the years, that's been our hope and our prayer that that the love for Jesus and the work of his kingdom and the message of his kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit would be given away and discipled into every generation. So my question is, are you being discipled? And that might come back on me, which I'm happy to have a conversation about. But my other question to you is, Who are you giving away to what you yourself have received? Who are the people around your life that God's brought around you for you to share the kingdom with? Let's finish. Next slide, thanks, Jake. John Wimber said this. He said, Over the course of 20 years in the ministry, I've become convinced that one of the most important things that any of us can do as a Christian is to grow up before we grow old. Grow up before we grow old. Or you could say, grow up, not just grow old, (laughs) but both end. But both end. 
So this morning, I want to invite you as, um, as we just wrap up this whole little series we've been doing on giving Jesus our yes and following him for another year. The invitation that's on the heart of the Father for us this morning is, grow up, church, grow up. Why don't we just stand and pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you've been doing in this room today. As we've met together in your presence, as your spirit has been moving, as people's hearts and lives are encountering you, we ask now, Holy Spirit, you come and underline all of the things that need to be underlined in our heart and mind today. Just, just Let's just take just a sec, just 30 seconds for the Holy Spirit to say, out of everything that's happened today here, take this bit home. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that as we go today, that you would continue to draw us into intimacy with Jesus and you would mature us, help us to be fully integrated human beings, alive to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, willing to take the journey to grow up into maturity and live the kingdom life, even as Jesus has modelled it and called us into. And I pray it as, a, as an empowered blessing over each and every one of us right now. In the name of Jesus, for our joy and for the sake of the world.